welcome to the Docs of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. I'm Nathan Brown. We also have Matt Klein with us today and a very special guest. His name is Brody Sharp, and we are very excited to have him with us. He's a physiotherapist from Melbourne, Australia, and the owner of the Run Smarter Physiotherapy Clinic. He helps runners train smarter and dispels a lot of common running myths to help runners reduce their injury risk and overcome injuries efficiently. He spreads this information primarily through his podcast, the Run Smarter podcast, which we recommend, uh, which now has climbed into the top 1% of podcasts globally. He also recently started a YouTube channel. So go check out the Run Smarter YouTube channel. Uh, you can, we'll probably put a link on our YouTube page. We'll probably put it below so you can check it out. I've already, I've been watching his stuff and I, I told him this before we started recording, but I think he puts big information in very short, concise, and clear ways that are very tangible. So, um, leave it to a physiotherapist to do something like that. Way to go. (laughs) So we're really excited to have him on. But today we're going to be diving into the topic of detecting early signs of injury. This is one of the chapters from the recent book that he also just released, which is called Run Smarter, an evidence-based guide and expert opinions to help you survive and thrive as a runner. But before we do that and learn more about Brody and dive into that topic, we want to hear from you. So here is today's subjective. Uh, We want to talk about, since we're talking about these early signs of injury, we want to hear from you. What are your signs that you pay attention to when you determine if you have an injury coming versus just something that is just a normal part of running? So what is that thing for you? What's your little cue that says, this is when I know that it's more than just a little niggle. So let's, uh, but let's jump over to Brody and just get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into running in general, because that's what you what you do full-time so tell us how you got into running thanks for having me on guys yeah i'm excited to have a chat today about detecting early signs of injury but um as i started i was actually a physiotherapist before becoming a runner i actually became a runner a bit later Hmm. and Hmm. it was um about three years into my physio career i actually went traveling went traveling for six months in north america and i came back and was a bit sluggish i hadn't really done much exercise and a lot of poor eating and a lot of drinking during my travels and got back and was like, okay, need to start getting fit again. And my sister at the time had just started training for a half marathon and asked if I wanted to train with her for a bit of accountability and, um, worked out well. So I said, yep, let's, let's do it. And as soon as I caught the bug and as soon as I started running and getting injured and managing my injuries, it was, um, (laughs) uh, a bit of a, an epiphany and sort of, changed the trajectory of my career and working as a generic physiotherapist here, I started seeing some runners, not all runners, but started seeing some runners and started getting a huge passion for treating them, educating them and getting them back to pain-free running. And that bit of insight, like I was just buzzing after seeing runners and treating them and giving them insight and just I wanted to keep exploring that and want to do more of it. And so that just launched me into the Run Smarter podcast, launched me into my own physiotherapy clinic where I do online and in-person treatments for runners. And yeah, now just loving it, living the dream, doing what I love and everything I do just gives me a whole ton of passion. And so, yeah, that's Mm. where it's launched me to today. That's fantastic. And from our perspective, um, I, th- I mean, we love the profession of physiotherapy and physical therapy, and 
I think that there's a lot that I've learned at being a runner and a clinician myself where if you just kind of understand a few special things on the front end, it can really change the trajectory of how you experience certain pain or injury or whatever. And uh, so I like your idea of dispelling myths because it can really make a huge difference. And something that we were talking about before we jumped on, we wanted to say this for all of our listeners is people reach out to us all the time looking for advice. And we don't have an infrastructure at Doctors of Running right now that we have a space to be able to take care of runners from like a treatment perspective and giving advice perspective. Um, We all have our own uh, independent clinics that we're working at locally and things like that. But Brody is one of those PTs who can see people globally. And so if you are looking for somebody and we might just start pushing people your way, Brody, because people ask us weekly, like kind of what's going on. And, um, we just know that we trust your your insight and your opinion. Obviously, you've done a lot of work to get to where you're at and just understanding how runners work and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, But if you're a runner and you're like, hey, I want to get Doctors of Running's opinion, sorry, we can't do that right now. We don't have an infrastructure, and there's a lot more behind that of why we can't do that. But Brody can. He lives in Australia, and life's a little bit different there, and it <laughs> works out well for this scenario. So um, w- go check out his his website, which can you can you tell everybody your website? Yeah, so it's runsmarter.online and there's a, a services tab at the top navigation and it says physiotherapy and most of the, um, I guess, call to actions is a free 20-minute uh, injury chat that people could just jump on to see if um, we can just gain a little bit more about their injury, learn a bit more about their rehab, some missing links they might have, and if they're interested yeah. in online physio, we chat about all those things. Yeah, perfect. So uh, we, we just encourage everybody to go check those things out. But let's let's get into the meat and potatoes of the episode today. We're really excited to talk about these early signs of injury. But before we do that, let's lay some groundwork. So, Brody, what can you tell us about kind of what's the general commonality? How common are running injuries, um, and how do you go about defining what an injury actually is? Yeah, good start. Um, I guess the research is pretty. There's a wide range of I guess values that the research has kind of dwindled down to, and there's you know some will say injuries, two and a half injuries, some say like 12 injuries every thousand hours of running. Um, You'll have some research that says um, 20% of runners get injured every year. Some say 80% of runners get injured every year. And all I know is there's a lot. (laughs) All I know is runners are very (laughs) injured. It's a very injury prone sport. And I talk about in the book, a couple of reasons why I think it's so prevalent. Uh, And I guess how I define an injury, it's an interesting question. And I sort of tried to tackle this in the book as well. But um, what, when you ask this and like submitted it to me, I guess I don't really, it doesn't really matter to me what is classified as an injury. As long as that particular pain or soreness is inhibiting someone's running or it's been persistent for, you know, a couple of weeks, I think it's it's worth addressing whether they consider it an injury or not. But um Putting it out there, I'd say if someone has a pain or soreness or stiffness, it doesn't necessarily have to be pain. If it's stiffness or soreness that's inhibiting your running, it's dictating sort of how far you can run, how fast you can run, like the hills and, you know, those sort of components. And it's persisted beyond three consecutive runs or two weeks or so. I'd say definitely that's within injury territory and you need to start changing something in your management to make sure that you overcome that. Yeah. I think that's a really good, 
good analysis. And I, I think you're totally right that the definition of injury doesn't matter so much. I think it the the importance of the definition is what you see is you see the 20% and 80%. And that's t- sometimes because the studies define injury differently. So if you don't meet a criteria for the studies defined you know, injury, it might be 20% of people get injured. But if you kind of change that kind of threshold of injury, but, um, but otherwise it doesn't matter if your running is less fun or less enjoyable, or you can't do it, then you're in a space where you've got to figure that out. Exactly I think right. that's totally spot on. Do you, you know, some people really want to get, find that silver bullet and get your injury risk down to 0%. Do you, are you in a spot where you would say that you can get that anybody can decrease their injury risk down to zero and be a runner? Or do you think it's not quite that simple? It's not quite that simple. And again, I say this on my podcast a couple of times. It's it's such on the forefront of people's mind. People are like want to do as much as they can to reduce their risk of injury. People are really worried about getting injured because either they've had an injury before and they know how disruptive it can be to their training or their race preparations. And like we said, it's so prevalent in the population. And so everyone that I talk to is like, oh, what do you want to learn more about? They're like injury prevention, injury prevention. It's like, you know, forefront of people's minds. And they, those who are under the expectations that they can try and do things to get their risk down to zero, I think is unrealistic. I think it is, uh, running is a sport where you just want to do more. You want to continue pushing the envelope. You have a half marathon, then you go to a full marathon, then you want to do three marathons in a year, then you want to do a faster marathon, and then you want to do an ultra marathon. And then, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's limitless. And yeah, as you can continue to strive and push the boundaries, push the envelope, you know, your body's going to start getting sore and there's, there's only going to be certain limitations. And what I like to reassure runners about is that while you can't get that risk down to zero, it's an unrealistic expectation. There are exceptions to the rule where people have ran for, you know, 10 years and never got injured. I don't think that that's, I think that's so rare. And I think that people should like just have more realistic expectations, but you can do things. You can train smarter to reduce that risk of injury that you currently have. How much we reduce that by, it's really hard to say, but where I like to position myself is true injury prevention is if these things come up and you do start getting a little niggle or soreness or stiffness, or you wake up the next day and your tendon's a little bit stiff, it's recognizing it and accurately interpreting those particular symptoms and then know exactly what to do, you know, day one, day two, week one, to swiftly negotiate that injury without losing fitness. You can still keep active. You're not going to disrupt your training. It's not going to bring it to a halt. You just continue doing the right things, remaining very proactive and return back to pain-free running without losing fitness. That's my definition of true like injury prevention. And so it does require a fair bit of education and my podcast does have almost 250 episodes for people to absorb if they want to learn this sort of stuff. But yeah, and a that's great what, book. Yeah, thank you. And that's where I like to position myself. I think that's a really that's a that's a paradigm shift, I think for for people and for runners and for people to think about because like you said, you're saying injury prevention doesn't just happen before something pops up. It's preventing that thing that's popping up to really take you out. 
And that, that I think that's a huge, huge shift. And that's a lot easier to attain than it is to never let any sort of discomfort or pain or tightness or stiffness or whatever to pop up in the first place. Um, and so I, I really love that, that shift in perspective. And I think that's really important because I think what once once runners can kind of understand that, it'll probably take that fear away from a lot of these injuries because what people are afraid of, right, is, oh, it's going to take me out. I have to stop my trick because oftentimes when people have their first major injury or the repeated episodes, like I wasn't able to run for X number of weeks, that kind of stuff, where I think kind of rephrasing that and going, just so you know, that's not a realistic expectation that even the, the research on injury risk, this is stuff is incredibly hard to do. And if, you know, Laurent Maslow, who we got to have on, was really key about that going, you can certainly reduce your risk. But just like you were saying, all the evidence has said, you can't eliminate it. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. You might not even expect it. It might not even be real. It related to running. It might be rolling your ankle because you're just walking somewhere and you weren't paying attention. So that stuff happens. But to rephrase that, instead of being so fearful, go, why don't we help you with the tools, which we're going to talk about today, of how to identify this stuff and then go, what do I do about this so I can continue running rather than having the same interruption that I've had in the past? Yeah. Which I think is really powerful. You're empowering people. I think runners Definitely. are really hard on themselves. Like as soon as they maybe make a training error, like they wake up and their knees sore and they're like, they look back on their last week of training, like, okay, I've obviously overdone it. They're, they're really down on themselves when they are injured. And not only that, because there's the fear of losing fitness, there's a fear of like wanting to, you know, prepare for a race that's coming up. They're more likely if they're in that mindset to mismanage it initially and like run through that injury, run too far, too fast and just ignore it and say, hopefully it gets better. And then they just continue to, to mismanage it and overload it and make it worse. And it's only because those expectations and those fears and, um, you know, the, the misguidance that just continues to manifest and, make it worse. And it's, it's the number one fear when someone's injured. It's like, Oh my God, I'm going to lose all my progress. I've worked 12 weeks in a row to build up this fitness to prepare for this marathon. And now it's all going to be derailed because of this injury. And they, they put it in the back of their mind, like, let's just push through, let's just push through. And hopefully it just resolves itself. Cause I'm not going to lose fitness. I want to keep working my way towards this race. And, you know, it brings them undone. Like it makes things worse. And then it, leads to like a, a greater disruption or requires a greater disruption to overcome that injury later down the track. I think, and I think that right there is a huge point too, where for most of us, you know, some people are, are in this season where they are elite runners and, per, and they you know, they have a certain window of their life to, perf, to, to run at a level that really matters, whether you're like, oh, I really want to win state in high school, or I want to be a certain level at the college level, or I want to be an Olympian. Those have some timestamps on them. But for the major, large majority of runners, it's not really, you know, this is a lifelong sport. And sometimes our short-term goal, even if it's a marathon, that's still a short-term goal, shadows how we can, you know, make, put ourselves in a position to succeed long-term. And we get this tunneling effect of like these, you know, I can't, like you said, like short-term fitness loss means complete derailment of my entire running career when that's not really true. And I think that's a huge reshift um, and just thing to continually think about as runners. We we didn't touch on this yet, and I and we're talking about early signs of injury, but we have to realize that this is technically chapter three of his book, which means that there's a lot of foreground in there. So I do want to ask you one more kind of foundational question, but before we talk about early signs of injury and 
what are some of the things that you think about when you think about what puts runners at the highest risk of injury? What are some of those either mistakes or just just those risk factors that you think are the most common? Yeah, fantastic. Um, the most, I guess, foundation principles of why people get injured is they either overtrain or under recover. It's, you know, the vast majority would come down to that. And when we talk about the overtraining side of that equation, we're very classic doing too much too soon, running too fast, doing too many hills, um, transitioning to like a minimalist shoe, like doing all these things too abruptly. All of these things are fine. They're fine to do. But if you do it too fast, that exceeds your body's capacity to adapt because your body needs time. It needs a stimulus that's a little bit more challenging. But if it's within this this correct adaptation sweet spot and has the recovery on the other side to back up that, then your body gets stronger. It adapts to all these things. You can run in bare feet if you wanted to, but you just need to be really patient, allow a lot of time, and those sort of things can be done. But running and runners are never really that patient and not really, it's not really that simple. There's, you know, you want to prepare for a marathon and you've never ran before in your life and you want to do it in, you know, four months. Sometimes that's not, sometimes, you know, you need 12 months. It's, it's just as simple as doing too much too soon and exceeding your adaptation zone because every muscle, ligament, tendon within your body has a certain capacity. You can raise that capacity with good training, but if you train too abruptly, it exceeds that capacity and then starts getting stiff, sore, leads to an injury. Um, but then you have the under recovery side. So you either overtrain or you under recover. And theoretically, you can train to identical training loads and still get an overload injury because something within your recovery circumstances has led to subpar um, recovery strategies. And so it's all about balancing out that equation. It's overtrain or under recover load versus capacity. It's just as simple as that equation. And that will cover 99% of running related injuries that are out there. Awesome. Thank you. And I think people have to realize that there's a lot of factors that go into whether you're able to like, under under recovering so we've talked about this before and you do a great job of this in the book talking about are you getting enough sleep do you have enough time to adapt how's your nutrition all these different factors people often don't think about as opposed to not that i can judge with this next comment how many miles am i getting in how quickly can i go through this they're laughing at me now um and it's it really reminds me of our talk that we just did on tendinopathies especially at the knee going you know this takes time if you really want to rehab from this kind of stuff it can take nine months of consistent work and i i totally agree that i think training's the same way it's no different right you said all the different tissues in the body they each have their own timelines but they're usually really long and the body takes a bit so but runners are typically not patient which is ironic since you're running really long distances you think patient would come naturally but not not usually yeah the i want to give a quick shout out to we had an episode i think it was three or four episodes ago with long run physio and he talked about recovery strategies and uh i think sometimes we we get stuck in the the cliche ideas of i'm gonna foam roll or i'm gonna use a percussion massager and that's what recovery is but recovery is is a lot more foundational than that (laughs) it's it's a lot easier (laughs) than using a tool um easier and harder because it actually just takes some discipline to do but um you could refer back to that episode um with long run physio to talk about that we talked about recovery with but now let's get into the topic we really want to hear from you about and that are that's talking about what are these early signs of injury so what kind of things should we pay attention to that can cue us about these early signs what do you usually see in runners 
Um, it will, it will depend on the injury. Like, you know, the body does an amazing job of messaging us, giving these alerts with different signals. But I guess from a physical perspective, things like, well, first of all, pain, any sort of little niggles and pain is something to pay attention to. Um, someone can train really hard and then the next morning have some new symptoms that are, are worth paying attention to. And um, particularly when it comes to tendinopathies, we know that a classic presentation of tendinopathies or plantar fasciitis might not be pain. It might be stiffness. It might be just mild soreness. And if you pay attention to that the next morning when you first wake up and see how the body's responding, that can be a clear sign that the body is being overloaded or under-recovered in, in one way or another. And it can be, particularly for tendinopathies, it can be really tricky for um, interpreting accurately these sorts of things because you can go back to a run that day and maybe the first 10 seconds is a little bit niggly, but then you're fine and you're running pain-free because everything's warmed up. But then the next morning, again, you're hobbling around and it's a little bit worse than the morning before. And so um, these early signs may be pain. It might be stiffness. It might be tightness. A lot of people like to put um, certain attributes or characteristics to these to try and convince themselves they're not getting injured. They say, oh no, it's just tightness. Um, but how long has that tightness been there? Oh, maybe two, three days and only because I've been running so, so hard. And yes, that is, can be a, a, a nice or can be a, a helpful or necessary process that needs to happen. It could be this delayed onset muscle soreness, which people, you know, want to, want to have in order to get stronger. But sometimes this delayed onset muscle soreness can carry over and become like five or seven days long. And let alone, do you think it's not actually DOMS, it's actually an injury. And so it's pretty, it's pretty clear that you, you need to interpret these sort of things. You need to say, okay, what are the characteristics of delayed onset muscle soreness? What are the characteristics of an injury? There might be some overla overlapping characteristics in between the two, but as soon as something um, develops into the, I guess, the, the signs and symptoms that we don't like, that's when you should start be really proactive with how you start training. Yeah. What do you, uh, what do you say to your runners that you work with who seem to be kind of rationalizing their symptoms? So they're, oh, it's just a little tight. It's not a big deal. Like it's been fine. It's just, it's been tight the last week, like that kind of rationalization. How do you usually approach that with, with your runners? I usually say, okay, well, how long have they had it for? How severe is it? How disruptive is it? Um, what, what are you feeling like the next day is if you, if you wake up one morning and there's a bit of tightness and a little bit of soreness around your knee and you're not too sure if it's, you know, just tight and you're not sure if it is an injury. Well, you ask them, okay, well, if you go for a run that day and then the next morning, how is it? Is it worse than the morning before? Then you know that it's probably, you know, something that you need to pay more attention to. And it's probably just rationalizing how long they've had it for because most of the runners that get to me and eventually, you know, if we jump on a chat and start talking about their injury, they've usually had it for like three weeks or three months. Right. And sometimes right. it's, oh no, but it's, it's, it's okay. It hasn't disrupted my training. Um, I can still do all these things, but it just hasn't gone away. And you say, okay, well, if it hasn't gone away, what are the odds it's going to go away spontaneously if you keep doing what you're doing? You know, the yeah. odds are going to be quite low. And so right. it's rationalizing these sort of things. Um, I actually did a, a, a podcast episode, just a solo episode on my podcast about um, 
it was along the same lines of how do you know you're really recovering or when is it time to get an assessment and how do you know that how severe an injury is? And I essentially had a chat about this. Most people think that they're just managing a niggle or they're just managing tightness, but it just persists for months. And I sort of just rationalized to them. If you've had it for months, you kind of need to change something. You know, the odds of it getting better <laughs> on its own are very, very low. So get it assessed or change something in your management, that that training yeah. versus recovery sort of thing, and pay attention to it. And I had so many responses. I had so many people like chatting about their injuries to me, be like, oh, yes, you're totally right. I've convinced myself it's just a niggle, but I've had it for six months and it's disrupted my training here and there. It just hasn't got better or hasn't got worse. It's those sort of scenarios where people just ignore it but they really shouldn't. Yeah. Are there, uh, and I know it's going to vary depending on what body region, what they're feeling, all these types of things, but would you say there are things that runners should, uh, or that they can test by themselves at home? Uh, or is it more important to pay attention to patterns of symptoms like you've been talking about with kind of how it responds the next day and over weeks, kind of week to week assessment or day to day assessment, or are there certain tests that you think people can do, um, at home, um, at all? I think there, there could be obviously depending on the injury. Um, I think identifying like long-term trends, usually with symptoms, like say pain is a characteristic you can, you know, I guess, scale that out of 10. Most PTs and physios are used to asking those sort of questions. Um, what is it like during the run? What is it like after a run? What is it like the next morning when you first wake up? Just like those snapshots in time and then just see what it's like on your non-running days, see what it's like on your running days, see what it's like on your cross training. Um, and then what's it like week by week? I think that's a pretty nice uh, analysis for people to follow to see if they're really, truly getting better. And tests that they can do, there's usually some sort of movement or stretch or exercise that produces symptoms. If we're talking about the knee, we're looking at like squats or like walking upstairs. If we're looking at plantar fasciitis, that just might be walking barefoot first thing in the morning. If we're looking at, say, like your Achilles, it might be doing a calf raise or some sort of test or stretch that most people are familiar with that produces their symptoms. You can repeat that. You can do that, you know, once a day and see if that's tracking on the improve. Um, there's a UK physio, Tom Goom, who talked about her, um, a patient who had um, a proximal hamstring tendinopathy and they had the the, the leg uh, moisturizer test where they, you know, put their foot up on the, the sink and sort of stretched forward and mo- moisturized their, their leg. But as they stretched that hamstring, it would produce soreness. And so they called that like the moisturizer test. You do the moisturizer test every day, <laughs> see what your pain is like out of 10, and then we can track whether there's any improvement or not. I like that that was called the moisturizer test. And I, I want to encourage people, what Brody's talking about is, honestly, a lot of the most accurate tests for most tissues is either pushing on them or loading them. There's all these fancy, like special, t- and a lot of the physiotherapy students will out there will be being exposed to all the special tests, these kind of stuff. But the, you'll find if you review those, the reliability, the specificity, the sensitivity isn't that hot when compared to just, hey, a simple activity that loads or stretches or palpates the tissue. We're seeing that over and over again. It's, it's funny, I was just reviewing um, with some of the patients that I work with that pushing on the, like the meniscus, pushing on it with your finger is almost as accurate as an MRI for whether you have symptomatic <laughs> meniscus issues. And it's like, that's it. That's all you got to do. 
So yeah, it can be. It's sometimes these simple movements, like yeah, if it hurts there, that might be what that is. Give you that simple. Sometimes, sometimes. yeah. And I think it's so. It, I think it's just super reproducible at home, and it doesn't need yeah. to be a fancy test. But if we, uh, we use this clinically all the time, I think when you look at like a the way that it's talked about clinically is like an asterisk sign or um, a test retest kind of assessment of somebody. And you can do that so easily at home, like you said, Brody, but just by finding the thing that bothers you and just choosing the appropriate increment of when to retest it. I think sometimes I find people who it's like every hour, they're like, does it still hurt? Does it still hurt? Does it still hurt? That can become problematic because you're just continually straining the structure that's actually irritated. Um, So choosing, like you just said, Brody, you know, whether if it's every day or if it's even every other day or every week and just getting an assessment of does this thing still produce the symptoms? Because if it is worse, you know what that means. If it's better, you know you're on the right track. So uh such an easy way yeah. to assess yourself at home. That's awesome. Just don't I pick really, at the scab. Yeah, don't pick at the scab. Exactly. <laughs> so Brody, I, I gotta, I have so many questions for you and I don't know if I'll even get to ask them all. Um, cause I just want to pick your brain on how you approach certain things, but let's talk about when these early signs pop up, the tightness, the soreness kind of it's sticking around. What, what do you tell people to do? What should we do if you're starting to notice some of these kind of niggles? This is where we go back to, okay, what has happened at the time of the injury to try and investigate what we do moving forward, because it will all depend on the runner. It'll depend on where they are in their training cycle, what they did, you know, up to, you know, two or three weeks beforehand that could have led to the injury. Um, So we're going back to that overload under recovery equation and seeing, okay, was there a tip in the scales that might've led to these symptoms producing? And in most cases, uh, the vast majority of cases, there's been some overload. So they've said, oh, okay, well, um, I've run the same mileage, but I've moved house and where I live now is just really hilly. And so you say, okay, so maybe there's there's some hills that might have led to this particular injury. Um, is there somewhere you can go where it's flat? And so we might just might be the same as keeping the mileage, but just taking away the hills and then just reintroducing the hills a bit more gradually next time. It might be speed. It might be distance. It might like any sort of component in there. We want to try and pick out and identify what's caused the injury in the first place. Because depending on how long they've had it for and the the injury severity, these guidelines will change. But it could be as simple as identifying the cause, modifying that particular trait or you know whatever we have identified, and then just slowly building up from there. And sometimes that's all that's required. If it's a if it's a minimal symptom, if it's like very mild symptoms, if they haven't had it for very long, sometimes that adjustment is all that's needed. We just adjust the dials here and there. We're not just flicking something down to zero. It's just a mild adjustment and then they're okay. And sometimes I've just seen that. I've jumped on a chat with someone and said, how about you just dial back your speed for two weeks and then just dial it back up when um, things start feeling better again. That's, you know, that's all that's required. Uh, But definitely that's, you know, what someone can do. Someone can do themselves, just analyze and see if they can pick something. The other thing's under recovery, like have a look at your sleep, have a look at your nutrition, have a look at your stress levels. And if that's changed significantly in the last, you know, couple of weeks and this injury's, you know, presented itself, maybe it's time to decrease the training load while you're managing all these recovery strategies. And when they start becoming optimal again, you know, dial it back up. It's, that's probably the most universal, um, no matter what injury you have, for most cases, that's, you know, usually the, the advice I'd give. Yeah. 
How, so how often would you say that you have somebody come in and you, you dial them back from a mileage standpoint or from a speed standpoint? Well, most of the people that come to me are usually, they've usually like their, their mileage is pretty significantly affected already. So they've, they've already dialed back, you know, 80 to 90% of their, their running and wanting to get back to a hundred percent. Um, and some of them are not running at all and wanting to get back to running. So I sort of get the the severe cases, you could say. Um, if someone's sensible enough to reach out for help or guidance early with mild symptoms, if they've had an injury for a week, I'd say 80% of them would still keep their mileage in most cases. One of the things that I've heard from people is you're, if you have to change mileage or if you recommend slowing down um, just even their regular runs, a lot of people have asked me the question, how do I get faster by going slower? Oh, that's a good I've question. I've heard that question a lot. So that's a great that's question. Not, that's not actually what we're talking about, but I do want to hear your thoughts on that standpoint and how do you respond to people? Because I think it's a very valid question because logically it would make sense. I want to get faster. I got to run faster. Yeah. Um, and so if I take, you know, 80, you know, even if you tell them the 80-20 rule or something like that, and and you say, hey, just make 80% of your runs significantly slower, it still brings that kind of anxiety of like, uh-oh, I'm not going to achieve my goal because I'm not pushing myself and I'm not able to run faster. So what do you tell people when when they ask you that? Add, add some like Strava jealousy on there too, and that can make things really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's especially when someone's preparing for a race as well, a lot of them sort of respect the 80-20 rule. People sort of know the 80-20 rule and they have a marathon that's in six weeks and they kind of unconsciously like just run a little bit faster on their easy days, a little bit faster on their slow days. And, you know, it then pushes an 80-20 to 50-50 without them realizing. Yeah. And I did a an episode with my sister actually because she was getting so many injuries year by year not really seeing any progress in her training. And I asked her, like, how are you feeling on your easy days when you run? She's like, oh, my legs are burning. You know, I'm feeling out of breath. I'm sweating. Like, all, And all of these sort of stress signals. And I'm like, I told you, you know, 80 20, 80% of your running needs to be really low intensity. And she said, oh, no, but I can't run any slower. Like compared to everyone else, like this is a slow run. And we found out that her running, she was comparing her slow run to everyone else's slow run. And her body was telling her that's that's a pretty high intensity. And how I like to tell people, you know, you on your easy days, you should feel, it should feel quite effortless. You know, it, I use an RPE out of 10 for, and I usually say it's hovering around a three or a four and it's really not hard. You should complete that run and feel like you, you have the ability to do it all over again. You should just feel super fresh. And that's 80% of your training. <laughs> and that's just, it just <laughs> doesn't, doesn't fit for most people. And so I talked to my sister and she made this change. She really reduced her intensity. And not only did she start getting faster because her legs were fresher on the running days where she was meant to pick up speed, but she actually started enjoying running a lot more. It wasn't a slog to like, you know, push through this intensity or like, oh, I have to do another run today. It was actually in more in, she was enjoying the process and the 80, 20 balance is designed to make sure that the bulk of your training, because 
if you can build up mileage successfully, if you build from 20 miles to 40 miles to 60 miles, if you can do that successfully, you're becoming a significantly better runner. No matter how fast you're running, the more mileage you have behind you, the better you, you're going to be able to perform. There's studies to show like, you know, the base base mileage and weekly mileage, if you can accumulate that, it, you, it's, it's so advantageous to race day. Um, but it's so much safer to do that. We're talking about overtrain under recovery. It's so much safer to build up that amount of mileage if most of it is really low intensity. And so that's how you kind of need to tackle it. But then again, you can be fresh. It leaves you fresh for your faster days. So you start getting better PBs. You start, your quality of your running starts improving. And I had so many people listen to that episode with my sister and reach out and say, I was running too fast and look, and I've made that adjustment and now I'm actually getting faster. So I'm really enjoying running and I'm enjoying that 80-20 ratio because I'm seeing the benefits that it has. The the biggest and the hardest lesson I had with this is right right before I left for uh, PT school, actually, when I had just come home from finishing university, I was in Portland, Oregon, which I was very lucky is like a huge mecca of running. And that summer, I got to spend some time training, which a bunch of 208 and 209 Kenyan and Ethiopian guys who really changed my view on what an easy day was, because obviously coming from the U.S. college system, and I, I'd be curious to know from Australia and elsewhere, generally easy days were still somewhat hard, right? We always had this number, I want to be under seven minute pace for the whole run. I want to be able to do this and that. And these guys, not only did they show up late, so if any of them listening, I'm like, you guys were always late because <laughs> um, I wanted to meet at 536. But pace was always very slow on easy runs. And I'm t- these guys are running. That's your problem, yeah. Matt. You want them to meet at yeah. 536, like <laughs> not even like 530 or 545. Yeah, that's fair. It's a specific time. Thanks. It's a terrible joke, um, sorry. But yeah, it's okay. It's a good, the dad jokes. Um, they We'd be running at 9, 10-minute pace the entire time. Uh, I was like, I just didn't understand enough at that point why. And these these guys run sub-five-minute miles for a marathon. Like, why are we doing this? But then it quickly became apparent when they dropped me incredibly easy on the hard days that all the focus going, we need to, everything we do on these easy days is to prep for those harder days. Whether it was a longer run, a faster run, Every other day was, it's not worth killing ourselves. We need to recover enough to make sure this day is as quality as possible because this is where I get faster and not necessarily on these other days. And that's a hard lesson. It's still something I struggle with because I still have the the Strava and the, the GPS watch. I'm like, oh my gosh. But that's, it's the, like you mentioned earlier, it's that balance of stress and recovery that helps you get faster, not how fast you're going on easy days. Yeah. So go, jumping back into the injury topics, uh, not so much about how we can run slower to run faster, um, which ultimately sounds like one of those running myths where the myth would be that every run has the same impact on our physiology and makes us faster, whereas really the there's certain workouts that tax your system in a way that requires a certain response from your body to, to get stronger, just like weightlifting. If you squatted 300 pounds and you've never squatted 300 pounds before and you do that every day. That's not that's not the way to get stronger. Um, there's there's different timelines that your body has to recover from and things like that. But going back to the injury questions, we you've you've kind of referenced some of this before. Um, how how can you know when those innocent little niggles like because sometimes you might have something that pops up and just goes away immediately, and in, every runner's had that happen. How how do you know? What are those signs that when you think it's going to start transitioning to something a bit more serious? Yeah. And I struggled with this writing 
this in a particular chapter within the book of just trying to conceptualize it. What, where do I stand on what's like an innocent niggle and what's developing into an injury? And I spent a lot of time sort of thinking about it before putting it into the book. And because we know that like pain's going to come up, like you, you talk to ultra marathoners and they run a race and they, they get like knee soreness, foot pains, hip pains, back pain. And, you know, th- these things just pop up and out of nowhere and they're good again. Like, you know, the next day they can hardly feel it. It's just, just something that just happens. And I'm not going to pretend that I know what's exactly happening with every one of these niggles, what's happening physiologically. But uh, I will say that there are certain trends and certain characteristics that we should pay attention to just in case um, it, it sort of balances into or tips the scale into like an injury territory and we need to be a bit more cautious about it. And so I sort of, and also like a niggle isn't something that's a, a medical term. It's it's something that runners <laughs> always talk about. And I just tried to grasp, okay, what do I think a niggle is? And I sort of broke it down into s- some niggles last seconds, you know, some niggles last minutes. Sometimes it's during the run, sometimes after a run, it's just this fleeting pain, tightness, stiffness, soreness, pins and needles, burning, sort of whatever the sensation is that just goes away and just resolves and never comes back. And so we can recognize that, but the level of urgency isn't that high. You know, you don't really need to take care of that. But I do say that you should make kind of a mental note or write it down exactly when it happened, how it happened, what it felt like, just in case it comes back. Because if it comes back, then it's something to pay more, closer attention to. And if that, when it does come back, it persists a little bit longer than what it did before, then that's something to even pay attention to even more. And then if it comes back more frequently or if it comes back with more severity, like these sort of characteristics, you sort of want to know to accurately interpret, okay, maybe it's something I'm doing. Maybe it's something I'm doing that's causing that initial niggle. Um, But like I said, you could make a note of I had foot pain at the 15K mark of my half marathon and it just went away. And then you can make that mental note and this never comes back again. Fine. You know, that's great. That's something that we don't need to raise the amount of urgency for or go get it assessed or go try and seek answers or Google what happened. Um, It's just something that we're not going to really pay much attention to. But I think just recording those or just making mental notes and just listing out the characteristics of how severe it was, how long it lasted for um, is really helpful for some runners because there might be something in your running. It might be the shoes or the terrain or the speed that sort of causes this thing to pop up. And every time you reproduce that, every time you do that similar run, that same thing comes back. That's something to really pay attention to and some, something you need to be proactive about so that it doesn't become, you know, more severe or persist longer than what it did previously. And, you know, you really need to pay attention to those particular trends. And it, it can be a trend over weeks. It can be a trend over months. Um, so we do need to be really careful. It sounds like the really important part is teaching runners how to be more aware, right? Because one of the beautiful things that we have about this profession is being able to not only help people, but really teaching people how to help themselves as well. So teaching them to go, hey, pay attention. And that means being able to go, is this worth the red light? Is it not? And if it if it's not, how do I just pay attention to make sure if this kind of starts heading toward this, how do you start being more aware? Exactly, yeah. Listening to your body. Um... On a side note, there is actually an ICD-10 code for niggle. I just looked this up. Okay, 
Great. So it's actually it's W it's W six one point six one X A actually. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, by the way, there is no oh. there is no ICD there is no ICD ten code. That's the ICD ten code for being bitten by a duck. So <laughs> you were right. There is no medical d- definition. My favorite. I, that's my favorite ICD ten code. I was gonna. I, I was think thinking. I, was, I might have to rewrite my whole chapter about niggles if you've come up with a code. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. For people who don't know, there's a. If you go see any sort of uh, medical doctor, at least in America, um, you're gonna get what's called an ICD ten code that's put onto your chart, which basically is their way of saying, "Hey, this is the type of condition that you have." And uh, there's some great ones. I think my favorite one is. Uh, being burned by water skis on fire. I don't know the number, nice. but that's the that's the specific. Wow. There is one for that. Water skis yeah. that are on fire. That's I think that's my favorite one. Yeah, that one definitely you will know. That will not be a niggle. Don't worry, <laughs> that's not a niggle. <laughs> As, but we're not talking about that on this episode. That's that's the <laughs> next episode. Brody, do you keep a running journal? And how many people do you know that do or how often do you recommend using a journal of some kind? Good question. Um, I do when I'm training for something. Um, if I want to elevate my mileage, I want to make sure that I'm keeping track of it. Um, right now, I keep a consistent mileage for the last like four to six weeks. So I'm not really training for anything or doing anything. Um, I just enjoy running. Um, so I'm not currently, but anyone who wants to push the envelope, 100% you should be, you know, documenting some sort of training log. And that might be increasing your mileage. It might be getting faster. It might be changing your shoes. It might be changing the terrain. Anything that has that little bit of a risk of uh, pushing the boundaries and sort of pushing that adaptation zone, we want to definitely keep track of that. And I'll, I'll be more than happy to chat about what sort of I recommend people document if you, you, we want to delve into that. Sure, go for it. That'd be great. I think... Um, I'm not sure if people on uh, who follow you have heard about like a TRIMP score, like your training impulse. Um, it's something that I've I assign to most runners, particularly those who every little increase that they do, they they get injured. Every little increase, they get injured. It's it's tracking not it tracks a whole bunch of things. So your training impulse or your TRIMP is assigning your average rate of perceived exertion, so RPE per session. And then you multiply that by the amount of minutes that you've done within that session. So if you go out with a really easy run and it's a three RPE and you've done that for 20 minutes, your trimp is going to be 60. So we're multiplying the average rate of perceived effort or rate of perceived exertion by the minutes. And so you can calculate your training impulse per session and then you can calculate your training impulse per week or you know week by week and sort of follow it as a long-term trend. And what we want to make sure most people are familiar with, we don't want to exceed your weekly mileage too much. We want to sort of, you know, just slowly progress this. And then if the body feels like it's overtraining a little bit, then we have a a recovery week or a down week or, you know, those sort of things. And once you start feeling good again, then you build back up. The same thing you can do with your trimp. And the trimp is really nice because it's, it's looking at intensity rather than just mileage. It's looking at how your body is feeling. It's this subjective um, process of how fresh are you feeling? How easy is this? Because you could not only overtrain and your trimp, you know, jump up really high, but you could also under recover and your trimp, you know, get really high because you could not be sleeping really well 
and do an easy run, but the effort just feels a little bit higher. And you could be going at the same distance, the same pace or speed, the same terrain, the same mileage, but all of a sudden your trim starts elevating. You're like, why is this happening? And it's only because that trimp sort of accounts for the physical effort, the stress that's being put on your body, the the external physical stress, but also the internal recovery. It, it influences all of those things. And so that's a really nice tip if someone's looking to push the envelope, wanting to train smarter and sort of just keep track. I really like that. And I, I, I utilize the acute to chronic workload ratio. That's I, I use a certain app that helps calculate that with some of the runners that I work with. Um, and now that I think about it, they probably utilize the trip as part of that calculation because you enter RPE and that, that factors into to the calculation of that acute to chronic workload ratio. So, um, But that's a super easy way to do that at home and you can just track that every single day. What you got, Matt? On this note, and Brody does does reference this in the chapter on this, there's a really awesome article by Paquette um, and Chris Napier and Rich Willey, some like really big names in the research world on this stuff. The article name is Moving Beyond Weekly Distance, Optimizing Quantification of Training Load in Runners. Brody's book is obviously phenomenal. An additional resource is looking at that research article, which I think is open access, I think. So I'm really going to encourage people to look at that because the trimp and that kind of stuff is really important to pay attention to. And it's been bothering me because I am definitely obsessed with hitting a certain weekly mileage. And I've been having to read that between reading Brody's book and then seeing that, I'm like, <laughs> I might maybe have to rethink this because this is really important <laughs> because mileage does not do a very good job of taking into account all the different impacts that we have on the musculoskeletal system, how things recover. So I am admitting that out loud. Well done. The the one the one last thing I'll add about uh, keeping a journal is to be honest with yourself. I think that's one of those things that I have to work with with runners that I'm working with earlier on. Um, sometimes it's hard to admit that something actually is bothering you, that a pain actually is getting worse, that it's not improving because you really just want to keep running or you want to keep pushing to achieve a certain goal. So the more honest you can be with yourself, the more clarity that you can have moving forward or with the person you're working with. I will also add, um, some people convince themselves that symptoms are getting better and sometimes symptoms are getting better week by week, but all they're doing is manipulating their training and removing the aggravating factor. And so they're saying, I know, but it's getting better week by week, but all of a sudden they're not doing hills anymore or they're backing off their speed work or, you know, they're just, they're, they're moving into safer waters and it, the symptoms getting better and they're convincing themselves that they're doing the right thing, which sometimes they might need to back off those things, but they're convincing themselves the long-term improvements actually, you know, happening, but they're really just pushing themselves deeper and deeper into those safer waters. Right. That's a really good point. And what I think is important also, I want to hear your thoughts on this Brody. And then I have one final question for you, but, um, you know, we're talking about early signs of injury and a lot of the stuff that you've touched on is, pretty simple modifications to your routine and close at paying attention to your own symptom patterns and your training patterns. How often in these early signs do you find that people also need something additional that they need to do from an exercise perspective or activity perspective beyond just modifications to their training and recovery patterns? Or is that more when it gets beyond just early signs? I guess it depends what they're doing. Um, if they're strength training, if they're, you know, keeping strong, if there are any like major sort of weak links in their weekly routine, if, 
yes, usually if someone has uh, is symptomatic with something and wants to get back to pain-free running as efficiently as possible, I would definitely add strength training in there, some sort of strength rehab to bridge the gap between the demands of what they can currently tolerate and what they need to tolerate. And it's essentially what the the role we play as as PTs. We want to say, okay, how much can this particular injury tolerate? How much mileage, speed, but also like strength work? How much can they squat? How much can they go upstairs? Can they, you know, lunge? These sorts of things. And if there is a real weak link there, we need to implement strength rehab to bridge the gap to what they want to eventually get back to. And then hopefully beyond that, because we want to sort of build that capacity up high enough that you're, theoretically your training loads cannot surpass it. That's like trying to reduce that risk of injury as much as possible. And so, yes, usually by the time they get to me, even if it's a really early sign of, say, knee pain, I'll ask them, yep. okay, well are you doing any strength training? Are you squatting? Are you lunging? Um, and if they're not really doing many of those things and they want to build up their running and keep these knee symptoms, you know, injury free, then they have to really add those things in because it's just another stimulus to build up that adaptation and build up that capacity. Um, if they really hate doing strengthening exercises, I say, okay, you don't need to do those things, but it's a risk. Do you want to really do everything that you can possibly do to reduce a risk of injury and sort of get back to pain-free running? Um, or do you want to make these mild adjustments and just, you know, if it comes back, then these are the risks that you took on. And so if someone signs up and starts working with me, almost always it's accompanying the the management, the load management with the running, but also concurrently it's the strength training, building up that rehab and making sure you're progressive with those as well. Because a lot of people say, okay, I'll do bodyweight squats and then you know, if it gets a bit better, I'll just keep doing the bodyweight squats, but you really need to be progressive. So that's, again, you're bringing us right to my final question. <laughs> You've been leading us right in there, but I just want to hear from you kind of, if you had to pick three or so, you can go beyond just three, but what are some of these top ways that we can reduce our injury risk? Um, what, it, what what kind of things do you think about? I want to f- throw in a few few different things that maybe we haven't talked about just as a, a last kind of final takeaway. Um, if someone's, yeah. again, we always have to go back to the the overload under recovery equation if you want to reduce your risk of injury. And there are tons of ways that we can, you know, dissect that and different tangents that we can take. And like I say, that's what I talk about on the Run Smarter podcast. But um, I guess one thing that just was forefront of my mind was optimal cadence, the amount of steps you take per minute making sure that you're within sort of an optimal range because if it's below optimal or if it's like if your um, cadence is quite low, then it'll be less efficient. So usually those who, not always, but usually those who have a really low cadence are usually overstriding um, and that, you know, creates unwanted braking forces. We can, you know, it's a whole nother topic in itself, but just making sure that you're within your optimal cadence range, because that comes into the the training load part of that equation of overtrain under recovery. And you could be accumulating these training loads unnecessarily. It might not, you know, it might not even be necessary and you want to be as efficient as possible, essentially when you are running. Um, The second one I put down was the monitoring your training loads monitoring your trimp or like you say, the acute to chronic workload ratio, Um, anything that's making sure that these things are in place, these systems are in place to reduce the risk of an abrupt change. And 
most of those abrupt changes are doing too much too soon. And so documenting those. And the third one I had when it comes to sort of reducing your risk of injury, like I said, we can't get that down to zero, but it's all about listening to the body, accurately interpreting what's happening, and then effective implementation to you know reduce that risk of injury. Because like I said, can't get it down to zero, but if we know what to do once they do arise and you return back to running without losing any fitness, without like, you know, any significant time off or any major disruption to any of your training, then you're doing yourself a really good service and you're it's it's developing these qualities and this insight for just running longevity and just pushing into the next year, into the next year, just learning more about your body and exactly what you need to do. Um really set you up for a good, long, healthy career. It's fantastic. Uh, Matt, do you have any other questions or Brody, any final things that you want to share with us before we sign off? Um, well, first of all, Matt, do you have anything? I, I don't. This has been a great episode. And I think people are going to need to listen to this a couple times, honestly, and go all the stuff that we reference either from the book or Brody's podcast. I would really encourage you to listen to because there are some really powerful and great we're going to use a different word here, great nuggets throughout. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, if anyone's interested, um, like I said, I have the Run Smarter podcast. I do have the the first 10 episodes of the podcast covers 10 sort of universal principles to reduce your risk of injury. And most people just check that out first and sort of learn more about the podcast and particular philosophies. We've touched on a lot of those in today's episode, but there's um, a lot more of, I guess, a deep dive in different sort of areas. Um, so people can check that out and um I sort of mentioned at the start, I'm starting a YouTube channel as well, explaining all of these things. And mm-hmm. I'm very excited now that I have a, a platform to actually show people, you know, things rather than this audio format where I've had to try and explain things and be very clear with the messages. But um, yeah, it's really nice to actually have something in front of me and actually show and demonstrate these sorts of things. So yeah, having a lot of fun with that. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap things up and we are just so thankful that you gave us your time to talk together. It's been great for me. I know Matt has been on your podcast before and and you guys have met, but it's nice for me to be able to meet you and just glean some wisdom from you. And I recently was, uh, Steve Magnus, I was looking at some of his stuff and he was just saying that one of the best things you can do is buy a, a book because that is hours and hours of somebody who is an expert in an area of condensing all the most important information, all their study into something that is clear and communicates very well. So in that vein, people should check out your book <laughs> uh, and look at the Run Smarter book because I think that's exactly what you'd get there. You'd get a very logical sequence. You get a very logical sequence of how to to run well and to take care of yourself as a runner. A lot of great tangible tips. I think it's a very useful uh, piece of literature that we have. I don't know. If, should I call it literature? Is that okay? Yeah, literature. I would. Great. So, well, well, a great piece of literature to read and encourage you to check it out as always uh beyond checking that out you can also check out uh brody's website which is runsmarter.online correct just to make sure that i got that right so check that out that's where you can learn more about his services Um, and if you're curious to follow more of what we've been doing at doctors of running as always you can follow us at doctors of running on instagram facebook twitter and you can see our website doctorsofrunning.com feel free to reach out to us with any questions uh, at doctors of running podcast at gmail.com and we're happy to interact we actually have a q a episode coming up where we're going to 
take some of the most common questions we've been getting from you as our followers and we'll be targeting those in a couple weeks so if you have some already feel free to start submitting them to that email podcast at gmail.com and we will hit those in the upcoming episode have a great week night day morning whenever you're listening bye everybody Thank you.